Hello. Hello. Did you get your focus stolen? Mm. No. No, you're just fast on the trigger. No. What? It just seemed like you came up real fast. Like you're... I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here waiting. You're sitting here waiting. I was was editing the show notes. But yeah, no, the thing came up and I clicked on it. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay. All right. Aloha. Speaking of which... I forgot to start my recorder until just now because you cut me off my game here. I did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I'll be, I'll be here waiting. Mm-hmm. Do you know that one? I used to be able to play that on the keyboard. Do you know that? I'm waiting. Right here waiting for you. Classic Richard Marks, I think. Oh, that Richard Marks? sure. It was right really here easy to play on the, on the keyboard. He seems like a good sport. Hard to tell from uh, the music videos, but yeah, no, you could play. It was on the radio a lot. No, I mean, he was on Tim and Eric. He was on the same episode as Peter Cetera. Hmm. Remember the one with the Tiny Dancing Man? The Terry Green no. Machine? Nope. Oop, sounds like a challenge. Okay. Writing that down. Tim and Eric. Okay. Well, I remember what that means if I write down Tim and Eric. <laughs> I mean, I really doubt it. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, uh, th- tonight, this night is different from other nights. No, this night is the... Well, I mean, well, here's the thing. Yeah. We, we alternate. So, like, each night is the same as the alternate night but different from the one before and after it. Whoa. And you never studied any philosophy, is that right? Yeah. (laughs) That was the, speaking of one of our many topics, that was one of the questions that I didn't get. And it was so easy. I I already made an aloha joke, so I beat you to that too. Mm, Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Five five letter word, philosophy. I'm like, oh, what is this? I don't know enough about philosophy. Duh. You have to use my, uh, my ultimate Jeopardy strategy, which is look at the category, Say mm-hmm. the first thing that comes into your mind for you associate basically with the category. That's also how you Google. No, it's not quite the same thing. Okay. It's going to be one of those, huh? I, I've, 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 uh, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Fine. You run the show. You drive. Uh, this is, uh, this is hello. This is reconcilable differences or whatever we're calling it now. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you've like backed yourself into doing like a, uh, a, a podcast with a format type of intro. You know, those podcasts is that what you where love? they, yeah, like, okay. uh, well, the Flophouse is a good example, speaking of. They say oh my they God. have the whole intro spiel they do. They introduce themselves by name. <sighs> yeah. Eventually, they say what they do on the podcast, right? Yeah, they watch a bad movie and they talk about it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Did I get that right? Well, it, my fun memory of uh, some early episodes is I think once, I mean, I'm not going to say Dan was drunk, but maybe he had <laughs> maybe he had a beverage maybe he before had a, the program. It was cold medicine. Or maybe he was just in a chill mood, and what he said was... I've seen a good butt. right. Uh, it says, this is the podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we chat about it. He said chat. He didn't say talk. He said mm. chat. And I'm pretty sure he's only done that once or twice. And I treasure those, the, the day I know. chat intros. I know. We watch I a bad know. movie and then we chat about it. And like you, and we're going to get to talking about what we're talking about in a minute, but, but as with you, um, it's a voice I've heard in my head so many times that, and, and it's with Elliot in particular, it's also, you know, you know how he is dispositionally. And so it does, it could just be the slightest micro difference or saying something just slightly wrong. And then that's, that's a, and that's a bit. And he you pounces. Know? He pounces. Oh God. But I could feel it coming. I could, I, I don't know how he could restrain himself on Jeopardy, but I can't wait to hear. But, um, yeah, anyway, this is a podcast where we, uh, uh, this ad free episode is part of your Relay FM membership. That's my Andy Bowers impersonation. Did you like it? I don't know that one. I don't know what you're riffing on there. This ad-free episode is part of your Slate Plus membership. 
Oh, yeah. But see, it's, it's a problem in our case because people listening to this, if you're not a member, you're going to hear ads. Yeah, but I'm also not Andy Bowers. So really, who mm. knows how deep this corruption goes? Yeah. Just trying to save the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is Reconcilable Differences where we uh, watch, we listen to the Flophouse and then we talk about it. It's That's a port. It's a porthole of time. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, hi, this is reconcilable differences. Um, and uh, and uh, you can. Uh, I, this is not one of the weeks, is it? This is an off week, right? No, this is a regular regular show. Just a regular show this week. Okay. All right. All right. Hi, this is reconcilable differences. I'm wrong, man. <laughs> you could, This is reconcilable differences. Actual. Go for hey, Merlin. <laughs> Say again. Repeat. <laughs> the sound of your farts. Excuse me? Oh, it repeats on you. Okay, mm-hmm. I see what yeah. you're saying. Oh, oh, also, you know what? Write this down. I don't want to type. You type. Um, mm-hmm. I watched the new uh, Eric What's His Name video uh, with your goat fronting. We got to talk mm-hmm. about that. Yep, sure. Yep. God, I love that guy. I just realized we just watched a compilation of Liz Lemon's Worst Dates on YouTube before I came here. And uh, uh, there's a guy. Do you remember when Liz dates the guy who has his own like elevator stop? And he's like, and they find out they're spoilers. They find out they're related. He looks a lot like Eric. Eric uh, accent. Yeah, the accent guy looks a lot like a lot like a lot of people. He's so handsome. He's I, and he's so good. That, I thought that one was a little long, but I enjoyed hearing the other voices. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It was it was long, but I thought it was kind of quick. I was like, wait, don't don't go on. Do no, that no, again. No, yeah, Seven I, more I, times. Multi parts, but it's a big country, and there's a lot of. A lot mm-hmm. of accents. Hi, I'm Merlin Mann, your co-host on Reconcilable Differences. Mm-hmm. Nope, not doing it. Hi. You can support us at relay.fm slash rd. Thank you. you. You get it ad free, you know, and then sometimes we do things. So thank you. Um, oh, boy. You just you grind me down. It's a, it's a mini topic rich environment today. I'm so into all. I think we should do all sides. I want to do all, right. all, and I want to hear what this thing is where you're talking about meals. Call it small plates. Um, is this your first time dining with us? Do things a little bit different here. <laughs> what, you bring me food and I pay for it? Well, yeah, that's how it works. And it's also, not a little bit different. It's not a lot different. It's, it's just a little diff- bit. It's, I mean, it's, it's the same. It's basically different. the same, but there are small differences. I swear to God, if you squat down, you get on one knee, skip, and say that you serve things family style, I'm going to punch you in the throat so hard you will never ask if this is your first time dining with us again. You're supposed to be begging to to have uh, Skip squat down next to you at this point. We're all Skip stuck squats. inside and haven't, haven't been to restaurants in a year and a half, right? Oh, I'm telling you, man. I said this to Dan today, but that, um, you know, I'm back on the cable news a little bit, just for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. CNN keeps showing this advertisement for uh, Stanley Tucci, where he walks around Italy and eats food. And he's gorgeous, mm-hmm. he's handsome, he's slender, and he's just walking around meeting people and eating food. And I'm like, this is in direct contravention of God's will to show this to me. There's so many things about this I find upsetting. You know, I mean, it's like Tom Hardy. They keep covering his pretty face. I'm glad Stanley is unmasked, but at the same time, it's very upsetting to watch people be Italian. Yeah. I'm very envious of that. I don't want to do it, but I want to be able to do it. It's a basic, right. I think John Locke talked about this in one of his yeah. uh, five-letter philosophy books. You want to know that if you wanted, if you... If you wanted to, you could do it. Yeah. And by the way, not the one from Lost. Yeah. Right. He's the also the father on Patriot. Have you seen Patriot? Sure have. Did you ever did you ever read the uh Shirley Jackson short story of the lottery? I did. I didn't mm-hmm. do that as well. I read it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, so we're gonna do a a flurry of uh my night topics tonight. I'm very uh excited about the top one, and I'm very sad that I haven't gotten to see this yet, despite my best efforts. What's the first my night topic tonight, John? Uh 
friend of the show. I can't actually say that. Ellie doesn't know the show exists, but uh, mm-hmm. one of uh, we're friends with them podcasts. a little bit, aren't we? Are we kind of friends? We're like internet uh, friends with them. Uh, you are. You're friends with everybody. Oh God, you're so broken inside. Uh, I met Charlene. Uh, you know, I met Charlene. Yeah. That's right. Um, the Flop House, which is a podcast where they watch a bad movie and talk about it, and it's mm-hmm. been running for uh, over a decade now. Aloha. Um, mm-hmm. One of the guests of that show, Elliot Callen, uh, was on Jeopardy, the television program, just this Monday. Uh, now, we, uh, do you know Glenn Fleischman? I do. All right. So we know someone who's been on Jeopardy. Uh, I think Glenn was a two time champion. On Glenn's Jeopardy, really so. smart. Glenn, Glenn can't be stopped. Yeah. Elliot's the also, second. Also, you know what? His Mac 911, is that what it's called? His, yep. his Mac articles, I can't believe how often when I've given up on all the BS on Reddit, I finally land on a Glenn Fleischman article and it fixes my problem immediately. He's a good writer. He's a smart guy. He's a good man and thorough. He also explained Bitcoin to John Gruber one time and it was the first time it made any <laughs> sense to me at all. <laughs> what was the, what's the, um, I keep forgetting this. I should write it down. This should be in your quotes to get right file. The, the funny tweet length uh, description of Bitcoin. Do you know that one? <laughs> I don't think I do. It, I believe it is. Um, there's something about like uh, CO2 emissions and burning fossil fuels in the beginning, but pithier, but it's something, <laughs> You're doing something. It. You're doing it. Right. And I You're have to, bullets. but I can't remember that part, but I've got the, I've got the tail end part. I think it's, uh, I think you just type into Google, we'll find it. It's, uh, you generate solved Sudokus that you can trade for heroin. <laughs> <laughs> that, that guy used to live down the street from me. Not Glenn. Oh, by the way, just in passing, oh, to complete guy? to complete the, the cycle here, uh, I do know Glenn Fleischman, and, and I do have anecdotes about him I'd be happy to share. You see what I did there? I just met a Glenn. I get it. I know. It's a Jaron no, Glenning. It's, it's the second level of, of Glenning. Anyway, the Silk Road guy used to live across the street from my butcher. Don't be creepy. All right. I, I've got it here. Imagine if keeping your car idling 24-7 produced solved Sudokus you can trade for heroin. That's really good. Now, That's really good. I don't know if this is the original. It's 21 It doesn't K explain likes. blockchain, but it under, it does get to some of the silliness. I mean, it's a pretty good, because it's funny. It's good. No, it is. It's very good, because it's going to get more costly to make those. It's going to get more difficult and costly all the time. Yeah, and every part of it is hits on a key aspect of Bitcoin, right? Yeah, like Homer's Drinking Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the fact that it is capitalizes the S in Sudoku, but does not capitalize the first letter of the sentence and has no sentence ending punctuation. What kind of curse it must be to be you. And no, let's sidebar, sidebar. Yes, you there. You know the is thing. Is that capitalized? You know the thing on, I first saw this in internet culture because of the year that I was born. But in internet culture, especially very early on in the early 90s, there was a thing where certain people online had an affectation where they would not use capital letters. Everything they wrote was all lowercase. Oh, 100%. It was, it was, it was like um, freshman year leet. Right. And some people are stuck in that. For example, Eric Holder, who I think is the original author of this tweet. If I look at tweets by Eric Holder, no capital letters at the beginning of sentences. Now, the proper Obama nouns guy? like Google are capitalized. So it's like a sentence with the word Google in the middle of it, capital G. But that sentence isn't capitalized. Then there's a period. And then there's a new sentence that begins with a lowercase letter. The, <sighs> the lowercase letter everywhere thing. Like, I thought it would have died by now. But I think people imprinted on it like baby birds in the 90s. And they just can't stop. And it drives me insane. What you just described is bananas. Okay, what, what does make sense on some level is that especially if you're on T9, but if you're just lazy, you, let's say you just, because you guys, you, know, you kids today don't know about this, but like iPhone autocorrection, which used to be really good, um, you know, takes care of a lot of this for you. 
you have to turn to to tweet like Darth. I think mm-hmm. you have to turn off a lot of things that default to being on. Now there was a time, especially with T9 or being lazy, where you just wanted to be able to type really fast. This is where we come up with you know T E H and stuff like that, all the elite stuff. But, but it made sense because it made sense in the given that you know it was just easier to type in all lowercase. Now having an uppercase G, that's that's something about that is very performative and silly. And and my and my initial encounter with the all lowercase people was way before T nine. It was no, it was like you know pre people even having cell phones that can text. It was it would be like on IRC and Usenet, right? They yeah, would write no, their know, Usenet know, posts. But you, so you take my point though. It's like the, it was out of. I don't think it was strictly out of affectation. It became about affectation, but I think it was mainly about typing really fast in IRC. Probably. I think it was absolutely one hundred percent affectation because the, the the efficiency gains, like the people I saw doing this, were not to, one to do efficiency gains. Like they were meticulous in their crafting of these fully lowercase sentences. They would use commas correctly. Usually, oh. they'd have sentence ending punctuation. These mm. were people who were like making ASCII art poems and. Uh, having I mean, the that's first... like that's like having a, a, a dreadlock wig. Like that's really odd. Why would you do that? That's so anyway, strange. These people, these people still exist. And mm. every time I see them communicate, I feel like they're they're speaking baby talk. It's like use the shift key, capitalize sentences. Like this yes. is how we write. Yes. <sighs> All right. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. I get angry about that. I, j- no, I just no, do. No, like... I, I'm I'm you know you know me. This is Merlin uh, 2021. I'm trying not to let it bother me. No, you're supposed to just not make fun of people's appearance, but you're allowed to be mad that they don't don't use the shift key. I don't. I'm trying not to make fun of people's appearance. I'm trying not to make fun of people's name. And I'm trying to, even as I get want to get better about something, often privately, I'm also trying to be double sure to try and not be bugged by other people who continue doing it. Mm. I don't want All to become right. an ex-smoker. You know what I mean? Too but, late. But God bless them. Aren't you an ex-smoker? Oh my God! Can you are just... literally an ex-smoker. Hi, I'm Merlin, and uh, you also you meant to say that Elliot is a co-host, not that he's a guest on the Flophouse. But this is the kind no, of thing I like. Go unless I'm you're getting sorry. up in my grill, and then you're going to get these two. One, here's here's one, and one for your your narrow Irish ass. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So circling back, yes, Elliot Callian, one of the hosts in the Flophouse, not part of the original Peaches, but also not, not part Fletcher. of the original Peaches. Yes, he wasn't part of the original original Peaches. He was part of the original. Well, the original Peaches. Peaches were a baseball team. Right, but he wasn't part of the original crew of the Flophouse. He came right. in very late, like episode It's like five. me and Matt Drake. Like, not from the beginning, but, like, close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, he was Who's on Jeopardy. Ju- not Jubin. Who was the other guy? I don't know. Okay. Um, and I think it's part of the whole Jeopardy deal. I don't remember from back when Glenn did it, but, like, that you're, like, I didn't know that he was going to be on Jeopardy. I think you're not allowed to say that you're going to be on Jeopardy until... Yeah, my, my ex was on Jeopardy, and you're not allowed to talk about it. It's like Survivor Rules. Until, I mean, there must be some window, like the embargo mm, Until window, it airs, like, I think. You're not allowed to no, talk it was about like, it. No, it was like, because he said on Twitter, hey, I'm going to be oh, on Jeopardy on Monday, and so there was like a two or three day lead time. That's when he's allowed to say. Oh, I'm wanting to go viral. I get it. Okay. And I didn't even know that he was trying out to go on Jeopardy. Never mentioned in the Flophouse, or maybe he did, because I'm actually far, pretty far behind on the Flophouse, but I didn't hear it on the Flophouse. And so this was a pleasant surprise. The latest episode watched... is very funny. The latest episode is very funny, the, the discussion of, of prequels. I want to get this out of the way real fast. I did not get to watch it, and I'm bummed. I went, to all, I went to all means that are currently at my disposal, including looking at Hulu. Now, is it, it's a CBS or like a Viacom, not Viacom, but like it's a CBS. Is it a CBS show? I do not know. Like what? This is another one of those giant holes. I imagine you got it on your TiVo because you're a good cable boy. But not only did I look all of the places with all the things that I get, 
but I even went to darker corners and I could not find it and I'm bummed. So I just want to say from the outset, I, I'm keen to hear your discussion of it, but I'm also bummed because it hasn't turned up anywhere yet. They're four seasons behind on Hulu. They're four seasons behind on Netflix. And then I'm, I'm not going to pay for Paramount All Access Star Trek just to watch that. Over. I think. Elliot, Elliot, I mean, Elliot, he's, he's, I love Elliot. I really love him. I know I'm not friends with him, according to you, but I think he's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I said, I said that you probably are because you're friends with everybody. <sighs> Jeez, what a curse. Friend to woodland creatures, Merlin Mann. So they live in the woods. Yeah. Back to you. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, whatever it is you want to do. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. It really is the best. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. Please do not worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And of course, all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Uh, I'm a big fan of Squarespace. I've used them forever. I use it every week for the uh, Roderick on the Line podcast, and it's the best. It's so easy. You drag, you drop, and you just move some stuff around. It's so fun. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, this week, I am assisting my uh, life partner and lady friend with uh, setting up a Squarespace site for her job, uh, you know, where she makes money and stuff as a fancy executive lady. And I cannot wait to do it. I love setting people up with Squarespace because you just give them these tools. I want to say basic tools, but they're not basic tools. They're easy to use tools, but they're really anything but basic. It makes it so easy to maintain. It really is the best. Squarespace.com slash diffs. Um, here's, this is a crazy thing. I'm going to tell you a true fact. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month. Okay. Let that sink in. Ooh, I used to charge a lot more than that. Let me tell you that. Woof. Uh, right now, you, as the Reconcilable uh, Differences listener, can go and start a trial with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. When you decide to sign up, use our very special offer code diffs, and that will get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And perhaps most importantly, it will show your support for John Syracuse. Once again, you go to squarespace.com slash diffs, offer code diffs, and that'll get you 10% off of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. So, um, so it was on uh, as we're recording this on uh, the uh, early in the evening for once. A new thing we're trying on Tuesday, January twenty sixth, and Elliot uh, was on a Jeopardy episode that aired on Monday, January twenty fifth. That's right. So, tell me about it. You, you, yeah, your description of it made me really want to watch it. But tell me, tell me how it went. Well, do you want me to spoil it for you, or do you already know how it is? I think he lost. I'm sorry. I think he didn't win, is my guess. Well, do you want me to confirm or deny? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to spoil the listeners on it. Can I the spoiler horn here? Mm, okay, for I... the next for the next 45 seconds, if you don't want to be spoiled, come back in 45 seconds. Jim, please drop the spoiler horn. Elliot didn't win. Okay, all right. 
Okay, now we got to we got to kill. Now we got to we got to fill fifteen seconds, forty eight seconds for the, the one about the one about prequels is really uh, is really funny and uh, very lively. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Pretty, far, I'm pretty far behind. I'm that's okay. Up, that's though. okay. There's I'm nothing to feel bad about. I've been I've been gaining ground lately. Good, um, good for you. Anyway, so Elliot, Elliot was on Jeopardy. I, I mean, and of all the hosts that you can imagine being on Jeopardy, that fits because he knows a lot of uh, trivia, right? Um, especially, oh, absolutely, he's consumed by it. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of book learning, like not just trivia about things that he talks about on the show. Like, obviously, he knows a lot about movies and comic books or whatever. If it was movies from the '30s, forget about it. Yeah. Right, but then he know he's like into the Abraham Lincoln stuff and history. You know, he, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, and he the, all he did the iPodius thing. It was a podcast about I Claudius and great show, great know, show. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I haven't listened to the podcast, but I love the TV show. Yeah. So uh, he seems well suited, but um, and also this was the first episode of Jeopardy I had watched. Since the passing of Alex Trebek, which was sad, which I hadn't I hadn't really thought about until it started, and I realized, oh, Alex Trebek is not going to be hosting this, is he? Yeah, talk about a missing tooth! My goodness, like his his presence on that show, his you know slight snarkiness. Oh my god, he was at it since like eighty five, right? And then yeah, and then it occurred to me like, well, wait a second, if he's not going to be doing it, who is going to be doing? It? And lo and behold, it's Ken Jennings, yep, the hojillion time champion, um, who is now. They announced him as guest host, so yeah. they're not they're not really to, ready to commit to anything. Oh, do you think he's in consideration for a permanent spot? I don't know, but I'm saying he was announced as guest host, and I, I oh, I'm surprised. I'm, I wouldn't imagine him liking that for a full time gig. He's got a lot of other interesting like book writing and stuff like that. But in in any case, yeah, Ken Jennings, who who uh, I'm also not friends with. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I thought Ken Jennings did a good job, but was also. I'm not going to say he's doing an Alex Trebek impression, but his treatment of hosting duties was clearly influenced by Alex Trebek. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is fine because it's a good and it's hard to do what he does. And Ken did a good job of doing like he had a couple of quips. On, it was and like that's Alex would have exactly said that like that's, you know, quick witted and clever and, you know, not breaking the rhythm of the show, but getting in your little thing. Like I thought he did a good job, but it was very in the Alex Trebek style, which is fine because I think that's what people are used to. He is impaired by the fact that he doesn't have the sonorous voice of game show host Alex Trebek. Uh, but, you know, this is not his career. His career was not to be a game show host. He was merely, a, you know, an amazing contestant. And now he's got hosting duties. Yeah. Um, anyway, Elliot was on the show. Um, and a couple things about watching him do it. So speaking of Ken Jennings, I think Ken Jennings... Uh, sort of ushered in the current era of Jeopardy in which uh, partly thanks to Ken winning so many times and partly thanks to Ken writing a book about winning so many times, the scholarship about uh, what Jeopardy is really like and what it takes to win is has penetrated farther into the general public. I didn't know anything about what it might be like to try to get on Jeopardy, what it might be like to play Jeopardy and how to win Jeopardy until Ken Jennings. Right. So maybe if you were super into game shows, you knew all this decades ago, but it penetrated to the general public. Did you ever read or hear summarized uh, Ken Jennings book or possibly books on Jeopardy? Um, no, I only know what I've heard from people. I just I just typed this into notes to add for, as a link later. But there's a really good podcast episode. I want to say Planet Money, but maybe something else. And they, they talked to Ken. They talked to the other guy who's even more like the 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 guy than Ken. They talked to the three people who are like like longest run, most money. It's a really interesting article. But I also just in terms of historical context for you younger folks, you know, growing up for me, game shows were, um, I mean, they're silly and ephemeral. 
I mean, the brainiest thing you'd get usually would be something like probably password, just because like if you got Tony Ron- Randall on something, that's that's going to be good. Um, but I mean, apart from things like you must have had this something like it's academic or whatever they called it where you live, where you get two teams of high school or college mm-hmm. people doing a quiz. Yep. Uh, like university challenge or whatever it's called on young college ones. bowl college bowl um yeah but the um but i mean i don't want to sound unkind but you know the most skill you needed in most game shows was like good luck and knowing what a washer dryer set costs um and then what was interesting about i don't i don't remember this i don't know if this is true of the art um fleming era era but the it's funny because it was like 7 and 7:30 we would get wheel of fortune and then Jeopardy, the new Jeopardy with the mustachioed Alex Trebek. And the show was hard. It was much, look, I found the questions much more difficult. Um, I mean, harder than Trivial Pursuit, <laughs> harder than other game shows. And I, and that way, I mean, I don't keep up with the trades, but it was unusual and practically unique in the sense that you're like, who knows this? As, as seen in that wonderful scene in Groundhog Day where Bill Murray know, knows all the answers, you know, to the show he's seen a million times. But mm-hmm. wouldn't you, would, would you agree, though, that like, one of the marquee features was Alex Trebek, who used to be on like High Rollers or whatever, um, Canadian game show man. But like it was, it was really difficult. Yeah, and it still is. Like, I mean, the, the thing compared about to other, compared to other answer a question shows. Yeah, and they're like they're trying to. I don't. I don't. Not enough of a scholar of Jeopardy to know how what the what the trend has been over the past decade or so. But in general, I think what they're shooting for is questions that enough people know in the audience to keep them watching but that there'll always be a couple that stump you, right? Because they want the audience to be, right. oh, I know that one. Like, they, that's you, exactly what they want. If you didn't know any of the questions at yeah, all, yeah, and you were no a normal, fun. yeah, like post-eighth grade education person and didn't know any of them, you'd be frustrated and watch something else and be like, who are these, you know, pinheads? Right, but if you knew every single one, you would stop watching. So they have yeah. to strike that balance of sort of the, you know, the the average person should watch Jeopardy and they should know a bunch of questions and feel smart for knowing them, but they should also be amazed that the contestants know the ones that they had no idea about. And that's where they're trying to get. Oh, I'm sorry. We were looking for Lake Titicaca, Lake Titicaca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as, no one could scold you for not knowing something like Alex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <laughs> and so one, one of the, one of the things I, I learned from, well, from from the scholarship about Jeopardy and, and that Planet Money episode, which I think I also heard in the Ken Jennings book, it's all about like, well, you know, a lot of the time, every single one of the contestants knows the answer. And it's just a question of who knows how to use the buzzer the right way. And here's the strategies for using the buzzer right way. because The buzzers are inactive at a certain point and you get locked out if you go too early and you don't want to go too late. And, you know, so really in a game where every single contestant knows every single answer because they're all very smart and the questions are not that hard, especially if you're a big trivia buff like the people at, all, at home won't know every answer but it's perfectly plausible that there could be games where almost every contestant knows almost every answer it becomes a game of pressing the buzzer and you know it's like mm. well then if it's such if it's a game of chance like that then how did ken jennings win so much it's not a game of chance it's a skill game but the skill is not just knowing the answer to the question it's also right. knowing how to play the buzzer do, do you know um i if i knew this i've forgotten it but is there some kind of a visual cue to them like a countdown or like when this light goes on you won't be penalized. You know, you can you can punch in after this light goes on. Is there something like that? I believe there. Uh, my recollection of this is dim, but I believe there is, and I think part of the strategy was knowing how the the cadence with which Alex read the questions, because mm-hmm. the activation period started when he was finished reading the questions. So you sort of had to anticipate his rhythms. That's my vague recollection, mm-hmm. but I, Sounds I right. could be off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's not. It wasn't like a drag race where I'm just staring at a green light and trying to hit the button at the time because that would 
that would actually come down to weird reaction time stuff. So when I'm watching this, I'm, I'm obviously rooting for Elliot, right? You want, you want your guy to win. There was mm-hmm. a returning champion who had won a bunch of times. Elliot is one of the fresh meat being thrown in there with another person. I was excited in the first round where there was a movie related category. I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's Elliot's wheelhouse. I thought they would in general try to keep the categories away from the areas that they know the contestants know a ton about, but I guess movies is broad enough that it was bound to be in there at some point, or maybe they're just trying to, you know, even it out. So there's one category that seems strong for everybody. Uh, but yeah, but the heartbreak was watching it and having them ask a question and and this I, I tweeted something about this like mm-hmm. it turns out that if you listen to someone speak extemporaneously for <laughs> 13 years on a podcast largely based on free association and with large tangents you end up learning a lot about what that person knows so when a question would come up i would say i know elliot knows the answer to that question because a i know it and b i know the types of things that elliot knows whether it's a thing about a movie or comic books or a blinken or like I was like, Elliot knows this one. And I, I tweeted that I thanked him for holding his hand up high because the buzzer is like a stick you hold and you press with your thumb the, the button on the top like a, like a pen that you click, you know? Mm-hmm. And I could see his hand with his thumb. And so every time I'm like, oh, Elliot knows this one, I would see him, his little hand, his little thumb going click, <laughs> click, 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 click on the little buzzer. And then someone else would light up and they would they would get to answer, you know, because everybody knew it again. But a lot of times all three contestants know it. Yeah, if you're in like 100, 200, 300, but was he buzzing in too early, you think? I have no idea whether he was too early or too late. All I know is that I could tell when he knew the answer because he's furiously mm-hmm. mashing his finger. Some people hold the buzzer down low where you can't see it behind the thing they're standing behind, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't know unless you can see their shoulder twitching, like, did they even try to buzz in or did they have no idea, right? And it, it made it all the more fun when there was one question where uh, one of the ones that nobody knew and then like one person says, oh, I'll give it a shot. And they hit the buzzer, right? Super late. And they say, is it X? And no, they're wrong. And then the second person goes, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And because now that person's eliminated one of the answers. So I think it might be this one. Second person chimes in and says, is it whatever? And they're like, nope, that's not it either. So now Elliot is the only one left who hasn't attempted this answer. Uh, and he, either he attempted it and got it wrong or he just didn't know it. Uh, and that was, you know, that's one of the rare ones. You get one in almost every show where none of the contestants know the answer. And it was one of those ones that almost everybody watching knew the answer mm-hmm. to, including myself bop, bop, bop. and my wife, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're all yelling it at the screen. Um, anyway, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it, of being able to see that at least, uh, you know, if Elliot didn't buzz in in time, I knew that he thought he knew it. And that let me know that I have a good read on the types of things that Elliot knows. So it was an exciting episode. Uh, check it out if you can find it streaming somewhere. Yes, you're It'll right. I did, I, did, yeah. I did put it on my TiVo. That's exciting. That's um, good for him. Like that guy. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's a shame because you know, the, you know the way the show is edited, right? So it's you get a little intro where your your name gets announced by the host, but you don't get to say anything. You just look at the camera. Yeah. And when they come yell. back from the break, they do the little short. Yeah, and then yeah. halfway through, they come back from the break. The host gets to ask you for a little funny story, and like you don't get a lot of the personality of the contestants, right? And Elliot's got a lot of personality. And if you know him, you could see his personality poking through. But it's like, when does Elliot get to do his bits? When is he going to sing a song? And it's like, no, you have no time to like the, the best. I'm an he got. unborn ladder with so <laughs> much know, potential, right? sir. There is no we need to get room. back to the it's, game. <laughs> it's so. I bet he was funny in the, like the live thing, but yeah, he is I, I bet they drill them pretty hard, prep them pretty hard. I bet they've got just a pretty sizable production staff that is, you know, kind of um, shepherding people through the. Um, 
the process from getting, you know, rehearsing, not rehearsing, but, you know, trying out and da da da, da and so on and so forth. And, you know, you have to imagine they also tell them, like, you know, be on good behavior. Do you remember how they introduced him? Like, in terms of, like, what his job was, a, a something from something? Yeah, uh, we, 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 we were discussing this. On, my wife and I were discussing this on the couch when they announced him. Can you guess how, how they announced him? Like, you know. I, I, would, I would say a, um, a writer from Los Angeles. Wow, pretty close. He he was introduced as a writer, and I think it was listed New Jersey, a, a writer originally from whatever New okay. Jersey, mm-hmm. right? But my wife was like, a writer. I mean, technically <laughs> true, but not very <laughs> yeah. specific. Like there are many more. Ugh. There are more impressive things you could have said, and there are more specific things. A comedy writer. I mean, no, we don't want to no, pigeonhole it. Maybe that's not how it works. There's in 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 normie culture. I, I know whereof I speak, John. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a food chain. You remember the, uh, the hierarchy of geeks or whatever on brunching shuttlecock, mm-hmm. similar thing here where it's like, there's authors and everybody else. And like, if you're not an author, you might be a writer, but even in the style book for some places, they will not use the word writer. You have to be a something writer. And certainly they're never going to call you a blogger because what the hell is that? Um, but I, I think, I think there is a kind of, there might be like a house style for that in some places. And I, I don't know. I guess anybody can call themselves whatever. You could say you're a circus clown and it would be hard to disprove it, I suppose. But yeah, it's just weird. Comedy writer, but then, I mean, that's probably TMI. I mean, it's a more interesting profession and you would have thought that like in the in the like show break thing where the host gets to say three sentences to each contestant, that would be a rich topic of, of conversation. Very often someone will come in and say mm-hmm. like, you know, a divorce lawyer or whatever. Well, they don't use divorce lawyer, but like no, whatever no, but the like, profession is. You would is, say but... something like, um, but frequently it'll be like a way of also introducing a side door fact where you could say, I feel yeah. like, and I haven't watched the show in years, but I think you could, you would say something like, um, is, is a TV writer from, uh, originally from New Jersey. And I see here, I see here, Elliot, that, you know, you, did you have a, a podcast about American presidents, like something like that, where they're working a little side mm-hmm. door thing about your avocation or like that you like to bake or whatever it is. And then I do think probably a lot of that stuff was written for Alex, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, no, of course. But like, like Elliot, it has so many possible options for funny, interesting but nobody banter. cares. That's just, that's so obscure to everybody but us. I, I'm not, I say no, that not to, I, I not to drag Elliot, said, but like, like yeah. You worked with John Stewart on the. You were the head writer on the Daily Show. What was it like working with John Stewart? I'm not saying they have to go into his his you know yeah. CV, but like if someone said a dolphin trainer, you know the mid show break would be what's it like working with dolphins? Because dolphin trainer is a cool profession and people want to cool. hear about it. And they'd say they're super horny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Anyway, he his I I think Elliot might have had some influence in picking his mid show banter because what he picked has more personal significance maybe than, you know, I work in TV. Yeah, and over time, if you end up staying there for more than a few shows, I do feel like, as Ken's obviously an extreme example, but that even if you've been there for, I mean, what's the, the, the somewhat unofficial bar for success is you've been there for like five recordings, right? That's like if you like what we would think of as a the equivalent of a week of shows, like yeah, I I don't know how Ken has recalibrated that now because it used to be yeah. like oh you're a three time champion isn't that amazing and now it's like three time <laughs> right but the, you have to dig deeper to like you know find things yeah. to talk about and then there's always that element of like you know when you get somebody who is on a run it's a little bit about their relationship like how has this changed your life and you know that kind yeah of thing. yeah like I feel like in Ken's run at a certain point it's like we've discussed everything. It's like we have nothing left. What what'd you eat for dinner last night? I don't know. Like how you feel it. Like we've talked about your entire childhood. We worked through all your family traumas through, you know, three <laughs> seconds three seconds at a time over the course this of is six why months. I, all I do now is talk to my, my shrink about, you know, uh, HD video. Yeah. 
I've got, I'm, I'm fixed. I'm fixed. And now I just want to find out what kind of lighting he's using. If you yeah. can go on Jeopardy and just win for like six months, you don't have to pay for therapy. Like you'll get it from the host. They'll work through all your issues. Are you saying it's like a hundred therapists with a hundred monkeys on? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Okay. I mean, it's eventually, not efficient time wise, but it's it's cheaper yeah. if you keep winning. Uh, yeah. the, the, the champion who was there, I forget if they were a two or three time or whatever, but you could tell their question was scraping the bottom of the barrel of their interesting facts because they had <laughs> right. been there multiple sure. times already. Right, and I guess they weren't that interesting a person. Anyway, I, I enjoyed watching the episode. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it when it comes out. Um, I, I really like the guy a lot. I feel um, uh, I feel very simpatico. Um, I think I've been the role that he is on the Flop House. I feel like I've been that role on other shows. I like that role. You know, it's like it's it's a little like being human cilantro. You know, like not, not every, it tastes soapy, and not everybody's going to want it like big in big spoonfuls. Mm-hmm. But what if you had ten times more cilantro? You get Ellie Kalen. Yeah, be careful what you ask for. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of cilantro. But, <laughs> well, but it's like, it? it like, so like, sort of like me on you look nice today. And I'm not, I'm just, I'm not, just uh, apropos of nothing. Mm-hmm. Sort of like how Griffin is, Griffin Newman mm-hmm. on, <laughs> Griffin Newman on uh, Blank Check, uh, 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 Griffin McElroy on The Brothers, like, you know, and then. Uh, All the know, great Griffins. Yeah. Who's Simone? Simone's a little bit of, a, of an Elliot. Simone from what podcast? You know, from the uh, material and whatnot. And from um, uh, Polygon. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> she should have, she should have more things. I like her. She's, uh, she's, she's very, she's, she's just so, um, she's not a, an Elliot. Sh- who is she? Simone. Oh, she's a Simone. Is that a type? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, Griffin and the Griffin and Elliot, I, and the two, two Griffins and the Elliot, I, I see how they fit together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And my problem is every time I hear the name Simone, I think of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. All my friends have big butts, Simone. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. To learn more about ExpressVPN right now, go to expressvpn.com slash diffs. Listen, you know that a VPN protects your privacy and security online. It's okay if you didn't. I'm telling you now, it totally does. But did you know that it can take your TV watching to the next level? Hmm? Helps you unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries? It's true. ExpressVPN, you check it out. Uh, You know, you could watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix Canada, How I Met Your Mother on Netflix Germany, and Star Trek Discovery on Netflix UK. It's really easy to use. You just hit a button and boom, Bob's your uncle. You're you're watching watching TV. ExpressVPN, it's really easy to use. Here's what happens. ExpressVPN hides your IP address. Internet protocol. So you can control where you want sites to think that you're located. Pretty sneaky, sis. And you can choose from almost 100 different countries and just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. Pretty wild. So if you love anime, you can use ExpressVPN to uh, go to Japanese Netflix. And it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, whatever you want. Oh, man, BBC iPlayer, why they got to make it so difficult? But, you know, once again, ExpressVPN. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast, which is what you want when you're watching shows. No buffering, please. No lag. Thank you. And you can stream in HD. And ExpressVPN is also compatible with all of your devices, your phones, your media consoles, your smart TVs. I like to call them connected devices, but, you know, that's just me. Watch what you want, when you want, whenever you want. It's ExpressVPN. So right now you go to ExpressVPN vpn.com slash diffs that's d-i-f-f-s and you can get three extra months of express vpn for free how crazy is that 
So, you know, so support our show, watch the things you want to watch, and get yourself protected. Go to expressvpn.com slash diffs, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash diffs. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. And we're back. What is uh, what is your meal plan? I mean, plan. I look at this now, and I think plan is the wrong word. Um, Are you doing intermittent fasting? No. Okay. Are you can doing you, some kind can of fad you briefly diet? explain that to me? I can try. I mean, I don't really understand it myself, but there's a thing right now as you used to like to say about your former co-host, a fad diet. Anyway, there's a thing. No, I'm sure it's very important for health and everybody will be doing it in 20 years, I'm sure. Um, but there's a thing called intermittent fasting where you do and don't eat at certain times. And I get that there's, I see on cable news, there's an app you can get that will help you intermittent fast. I don't understand it. It feels, I mean, you know, can you be more specific because no, I can't, I can't. All I know is that like, you're not supposed to eat sometimes. And that's a thing now. But like everybody, you get like a beep, you get a push notification that says, okay, now you can eat, you go eat your deviled eggs in the car. Is it more or less frequent eating than, than three meals a day? I would be making it up. If you're Mm. interviewing me, I will say it's going to be more frequent, small meals because everybody knows that's healthy. All right. I don't know. Okay, fine. Hang on. I don't, you know, I'd look it up if you, I no, thought it I'm going to now, I'm going to, because you know, now and then people are going to email us or whatever, if they can find our email and they're going to be like, well, actually there's an ancient, the, the, the ancient Romans learned that you could live to the age of 40. If you do intermittent mm-hmm. fasting, intermittent fasting, also known as in, oh, call the cops, intermittent fasting, also known as intermittent energy restriction. Hmm. Is an umbrella, who wrote this, is an umbrella term for various meal timing schedules that cycle between voluntary fasting and non-fasting over a given period. Three methods of intermittent fasting are alternate day, that's hyphenated, alternate day fasting, um, periodic fasting. Alternate day fasting sounds like less frequent eating. Well, it's like different sides of the street. Alternate day fasting, periodic fasting, and daily time-restricted feeding. Gross. Feeding. Yeah, it's great when a diet refers to feeding. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's not something I would do. You know, is is someone in your household doing this or am I mistaken? No, 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 no. Eat less, exercise more. There's your diet. All right. All right. Give me a grant. Like move more. Like go listen to Dolly Parton and take a walk. That's what Apple lets you do now. You listen to Dolly Parton and take a walk. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, my meal. My, my, the emergent property of my eating, it's not, wasn't a plan. <laughs> it was not okay. a plan. It was a man, it wasn't a plan. It was a canal. It was not Panama. Um, but what has happened, uh, over the last, I don't know, five months of corn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and it only occurred to me to think about it because like, you know, corn is corn and you just, what happens in corn stays in corn. But I'm here I am, I'm in my house all day, kids are here with me, and like doing things or whatever. And I realized for many months I've been having two meals a day. And I didn't plan to do it. I'm I'm generally I'm generally a I'm one meal person. You're a one meal person? I mean you like a breakfast. You you're a breakfast boy. I mean I was. So I imagine one of your meals is breakfast and the other one is a healthy dinner. I mean I, w- I was a breakfast person. I very often, you know, when when I used to go to work. 
in an office. I would always have breakfast before going to work. Uh, and at work, I would usually have something for lunch, but not always a meal. And then I would have dinner. But I felt like that was three meals because I had a meal as soon as I woke up, breakfast. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the day, I had something, whatever yeah. it was. And then I would have dinner. But in Quarren, I have found myself on two meals a day. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. And uh, one of them is one of them is yeah. not breakfast, by the way. Because my weird messed up schedule is like the first time I eat after, each day is like at 11.45. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. That's really interesting. And forgive me, Um, did you say your, your kids or one of your kids is back in school or something? They're both going in like two days a week. On this oh, great. That sounds, sounds Ill, really Ill-advised Ill uh, school thing. <laughs> yeah, I only do needle drugs sometimes because mm -hmm. I want to be safe. Right, exactly. Okay, fine, whatever, whatever. Um, I um, that is interesting to me, and that is an interesting time to eat. Um, here's the thing: is I need a mom, or I need a nanny, or I need something. I've said, as I said before, if somebody cuts up fruit or cuts up vegetables, I'll, I'll eat it. And by somebody, I mean usually my wife. It's not like my kids making me crudite very often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if somebody cuts up a bunch of fruit, I'll eat it, man. I'll eat the crap out of that, or you know, whatever. There's just I my day goes by. This started in the I I think mostly started or really took hold in my early ADD medicine years where I just didn't, I didn't need to eat. <laughs> right. And it's food. Well, I mean, it's not that I was repulsed by food, but like, um, here's another thing that's really weird. A, th a weird thing about me is that when I travel, especially if I'm working in some form or fashion, if I'm working somewhere that involves travel, I end up eating a lot more and a lot more often. And I end up doing stuff I don't normally do. Like I always crave a Snickers, Snickers bar in a hotel room and I don't know why. I thought it was a Kit Kat. I like a Kit Kat too. I like them both. You can save a lot of money bringing your own. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I guess what I'm saying is that I don't know precisely why that would be, but um, I have to be honest with you. One reason I'm a little goofy is I have had a dumb day of like schedule disruption um, and I have not eaten since last night which is not healthy, not wholesome. And I'm not saying that for clapping. It's not good. It's just that my, my time got all botched up. I didn't manage my time well. I knew that we were recording earlier, but the point being, like I can totally go 20 hours without eating. And then what's weird on top of that is I, I'm pretty much off coffee almost completely. I drink a lot of iced tea now. Not a lot of iced tea, but like, you know, the same way that like my, man, my lady will go ham on some coffee. Like she, she makes it real strong and drinks a lot of it, which is how I used to be. Um, anyway, it's just in the, in the service of saying like, I don't have a normal explanation for this, but I do know that today I totally should have eaten by five forty two PM Pacific time. And you, how did you back into this new schedule? Just corn, general corn issues. I mean, I, I feel like I have the same tendency as you in that I will forget to eat if I'm otherwise occupied. Uh, but Usually in my adult life, I've been able to say there's something in my mind, like an alarm that goes off and, and it says to me, look, I know you feel like you don't have to eat, but, and I know you don't feel like you're hungry right now, but trust me, if you wait 26 hours to eat, you're going to be sad. So yeah, you, get, you get weird. Yeah. So stop and eat something now. And so I'm pretty good about doing that. And that's kind of what's been happening. That's kind of what shifted me because my work has been starting early in the morning, not just for corn, but because everything shifted for the working with people in different geographies on the other side of the globe. Oh, right. You have folks in, uh, in, um, in, in West India. Asia that you're dealing with early in the morning, yeah. right? 
Right. And so it's late for them. It's early for us. And that's when we, that's when we have our lady Hawk times together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so that means I'm, and, and because I love sleep, uh, I, I <laughs> basically roll out of bed and land in the first meeting. Right. Cause I don't want <laughs> to wake be up. like Michael Scott. You should get a George Foreman grill by your bed. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to wake up like an hour and a half early. So I have time for a good breakfast. Cause then I'll be waking at like 4am and I can't handle yeah, it. Yeah. Right. It's bad enough so, as it is. Yeah. So I roll out of bed and, and then once you remember what this is like once the meetings start once that ball gets rolling like i mean sometimes it doesn't stop and have meetings straight through a block of meetings from you know 6 30 a.m to 12 right so what the yeah. hell are you gonna do when are you, you don't when have are time or attention to... to be hungry really unless somebody like brings you something and like bagels or something and if you've got 15 20 even half an hour breaks between meetings you're gonna run during that break and try to cram in a meal never mind that your meeting probably had fallout stuff that you have to work on before the next thing goes and it's just there's no time to eat in the morning unless I want to sacrifice sleep or not sacrifice sleep unless I want to shift my sleep schedule, which on podcast night I can't really do. But Well, I mean, the, the, another way to handle this, at least from my POV, it's like alongside the, this is quick, but alongside the ADHD drugs what is the fact that like I'm still very loosely affiliated with habits that I learned when I was on the Atkins diet where I lost 30, 35 pounds and kept it off mostly. Um, but it was, so when I did that, the, the chronic health condition from which I suffer, um, really went away when I stopped eating a whole bunch of foods coincidentally because of Atkins. I'm not saying, I'm not recommending Atkins, but what I am saying is I did lose weight. I did feel better. And my, my poor gut finally like healed for the first time in years. And so I know I've got danger foods. Like if I, if I go and eat a pizza with lots of onions and drink all the beer, like it's going to be a big day of reading or maybe even a big evening of reading. It's going to be some serious call me Ishmael time. Um, and so, I, I mean, I have it kind of, my my pathways have sort of been recarved to where like I, I mean, like my, my, um, my, my family goes down and uh, gets a, gets a, like a, a morning bagel, like most days to like leave, be able to leave the house, do something before school. And they brought me back a really nice salmon bagel the other day. And she's like, oh, was it not good? And you only ate like a third of it. And I was like, I just, I I could eat all of that bread, but I don't want to eat all that bread. Thank you for getting that for me. But like, I just can't eat a lot of convenience foods. I can eat a lot of convenience foods, but I've learned my lesson. I learned that makes me fat and poopy and I don't want it. Like, and so my problem again, alongside the ADHD thing is like, you've ever had, I'm sure you've had that feeling of like, ugh, I still got stuff to do. I got to do the thing. And like, what can I eat? And in my neighborhood, there is a lot of food and there's a lot of easy takeout, there's deliveries, all stuff, but it's, it's a lot of really junky, starchy, sugary food. And so what do I do? I stall because I'm like, I don't really feel like, I mean, I don't feel like going to the effort of getting something that's not gross and makes me feel bad. And all, that's all of the resistance that it takes for me to then put it off to where I do get weird. And I'm already weird in the afternoons because my energy is flagging. My ADD is, is, like pulsing visibly and I get a little bit impatient. I get a little bit weird. All I'm saying here with you is like, if you had some infrastructure and a plan in place, that would help, but you would have to really want to plan ahead and like, and do it like to have something, I'm not saying bacon on a George Foreman grill, la la la, but something similar where when you get up, you could at least have like a variety pack of, you know, frosted flakes ready or something. Have you tried that? Have you tried having something that's just like a grab and go, eat gorp or something like that 
Yeah, and like that, that is your, your explanation of like, well, you've got a lot of convenience food around, but it's not really good. That also applies to th- things that are readily at hand to snack on, right? They tend not to be mm-hmm. the greatest foods. So yeah, there are lots of things I can grab. Unless you've taken the time to cut up celery or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, I don't know much about where you live, but boy, I sure have been a lot of places. I was saying to somebody just the other day that at the dot-com job, if we were in crunch mode, um, like our boss would buy us, get us all sandwiches, sometimes seven, eight, nine, but sometimes 10. And it was basically a sumo diet. Like just eating a hoagie mm-hmm. at 10 o'clock is not a good thing to do mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah. It's okay, eat, eat, have something. But like you should not be jamming that much bread and like cured meats into your face at 10 every night. It's just not wholesome. Yeah, I remember work food back from when I was younger and could eat work food and back well, it when makes people the happy. I mean, still, it, yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're not going to bring you like, you know, baba ganoush and, you know, oat oat milk. Like it, it's these these big strong cold cold fusion developers need to have them some hoagies. Yeah, and also like I feel like I I'm trying to get a little bit better at this, but I fell into the mm-hmm. the work pathology of not only rolling out of bed and going to the meeting and then just having a solid block of meetings from, you know, morning until noon, but like or noon-ish, like, my mode was like, get up, okay, work, 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 work is, you know, occupying every thought, every moment, constant communication, people are pinging me on messages, and there's emails coming in, and there's meetings, and there's other work doing on the side, and writing thing over there, and then when it started to roll around to lunchish time, I would bring my laptop to the table, set it down next to me, and have a quote-unquote working lunch, because if I'm away from the laptop... <laughs> People yeah. will say, well, where, where's John? It's 1130. He should be here when he's urgently needed for a thing. So there I am eating my oh, sort that's, of... That's bad culture. That is really bad I know, culture. I know. I recognize it. And it's something that I no, never did. No, I'm not did. blaming you, but I'm just saying like the, that expectation of like, hmm, I wonder where John is. It's like, I yeah, know, well, I John's mean, like trying to maintain his sanity by not being around you jerks for 45 minutes. Try, trying to have the first meal of the day at 1130, is what I'm trying yes. to do. But like I, you know, I felt like I needed to do that, especially with everybody being remote and me being remote. And whether that's true or not, that's that was a that was a trap that I fell into. So I've been trying to mm-hmm. stave off that and say, no, actually, when I eat my first food of the day at eleven thirty, I will leave the laptop in the other room and just go have my thing and not take too long. Of course, that the home the corn version of that is that snowballs. But then I look at what a disaster the kitchen has become. Somehow, miraculously, it's always my daughter. Um, and then I have to, then it's like, okay, well, not only am I making a meal. <laughs> you have to go do the afternoon yogurt collection. Yeah. Now, now I, yes, I, I'm, and the kitchen is destroyed because she's made a gourmet breakfast consisting of seven <laughs> courses and a tasting menu, right? My daughter every, made every, pasta this afternoon and it's like a bomb went off. <laughs> it's like every, every pot you own has been somehow dirty. I know, every I know. utensil is jammed into the garbage disposal. Can we, can have fun we just fishing reuse a glass, you guys? Can we just reuse a glass? Do we have to, we no. have to put etch people's initials onto a glass there should not be this there's three people and two animals in this house there should not be this many dirty glasses in one day what's what are you people doing right like we, we go through all our glasses every single day because every time i get a glass I had for myself to buy more. And, and put We're it a on my glass family and i had to buy another four yeah, I did. because that was, what, that was my christmas present a couple of years ago i asked for more of the glasses that we get that we have <laughs> because we need more of them and now the thing is i get a glass for myself and i would use the glass literally all week i would have it at my place at the table and i would use that glass all week long but now both of my children have learned if you need a glass, just go to dad's place on the table and take his glass. And so oh, I put them on. I, that's no good. I, I take a glass and I, I fill it with something and I drink it during a meal and I'll never see that glass again because the kids will take it and move it to their place on the table. And I can tell they've taken ownership of it because especially in my daughter's case, the glass, which is clear glass, 
is covered with like I don't know yogurt fingers. <laughs> yes, essentially, just covered in like. First of all, she's a backwasher, so there's backwash all inside it. But then it's just ah, covered with ah no, gross. <laughs> covered Ooh. with just yogurt fingers and she's smudges a backwasher. And... Oh, the things you say, John. Uh, well, I know, I know. It she's is better what it is. at she's better at it now. But still, well, she, her. her hands are always covered with food, and so okay. the glass. Okay. Once I okay. see the glass that used to be a clear glass that I can yes. see through is now cloudy, I know that one of my children has taken that glass, and now I have to take another one. Sometimes John likes to play the violin while he solves these mysteries. <laughs> There's plenty of fingerprints, boy. If you want to practice dusting for fingerprints, I've yes. got the, the house for you. We've got fingerprints in all types. So anyway, that that was bad, and then and so then I would do that, and then and you know. And the thing is, the afternoons would would probably slack off, usually slack off by the afternoons. But I remember, speaking of younger version of John, less than a year ago, I thought, or more, a little bit more than a year ago, I thought, hey, if I'm starting my day at 6.30 or 7, that means I get to stop at 3. <laughs> well, yes. We're so simple. <laughs> no, I mean, it made yeah. sense to me at the time. No, 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 then... no, 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 John, it's, it's 100% like rational, except for the kind of bogus work culture where we just, we just keep performing work until everybody else has stopped performing work. Yeah. And, and in general, I tend to not fall into that trap. And most of my jobs haven't been like that. But I something about. Really, I bet you're very good at your job. And I bet you're very efficient at doing the things that you need to do. You, you seem to me like somebody who would not put up with people or oneself being being a sloppy uh, sluggard. With the quarantine and with everybody being remote, like I felt I I, I felt more of a need to like like here's the thing. Like mm-hmm. if I get everything that I need to get done early in the day, uh, then I feel great. But the thing is meetings continue and if someone schedules a meeting at 4, you can't say, oh, well, sorry, my day ended at three. Like, that's just oh, ditto, not... Ditto. My, my wife goes through that all the time. She's probably not not quite as much of a big shot as you, but she, a lot of her day is dealing with meetings um, all the time. And then people, you just get the thing. And of course, because it's Microsoft, whatever, it's added to your calendar. Oh, hey, look, we are having our goodbye party for Jeannie at four. And you're like, ooh, could you have told me that earlier? Because I'm doing a thing. <laughs> May, you know, maybe we're all just getting a little bit uppity about the expectation that we should have more control over our our time and mm. how we do the work that we do for now. But like, I think that's that. What a menacing thing to do! What a weirdly, almost aggressive, but at least passive aggressive way to like end up controlling people from a distance. It's so odd. And and the thing is, especially in my job, it's mostly on me. Like, I don't think the culture really is like this. But practically mm. speaking, what actually happened? To, hey, guess what? Now you work from seven to five. Right. And so now yeah, I look, yeah, I look yeah. back on like a year of working remote. I'm like, why am I working five days a week from seven to five? And it's like, well, you did that yourself mostly. Like I could be more firm and reject meetings after a certain hour, but it's just but there's like, also, there's so many dirty little secrets that come out during corn. I mean, God bless all you management types, including you and my wife, but like there's, there's so much less need for hands-on management in the way we used to do it. How about a kind of management we could really use in the same way that we're finally learning that maybe the cops aren't the best suited to dealing with somebody with mental health and experiencing homelessness. Maybe there should be a group that takes care of that. That's not a cop where they do have more than a hammer to, to fix more than a nail, right? There, there, that there's that kind of thing, but there's also the kind of thing of like, Hey, is anybody else noticing that? Like if I work really hard for three hours or whatever, I can do as much as I used to do dicking around for nine. And let me let me put it where I want. There's always there's always all this happy talk about like flex time and all these different things. And I know some places that works. 
you know what I'm going to say. It's going to be only as good as the team and the leaders of that team and what they what they ex, what they tolerate and what they reward. But like, you know, I think all of all of the lumpiness of our humanity coming out of this is going to be wild. They're going to be like, "No, I'm not going to do that." What are you talking about? No, I'm <laughs> that's insane. That's not my job, and it's definitely not my job right now. You know, I mean, don't don't give me the beeper and tell me to be on call. I'm not a surgeon. Yeah, that's. I mean, that happens. That part of the technology where being on call and everything happens. I've lived through that, and I mostly are. I'm trying to avoid that, but now I get the other side of it, which is what you just talked about, probably with your wife deals with as well. When you are responsible for more than just yourself in any way. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that you do to yourself and that like I feel the need to be available. And even if I've got everything done that I wanted to do for that day, I feel the need to be available for other people because other people need me throughout the day. Sure. 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 Like that's part of my job and I can't dictate when they're going to need me. I can put boundaries on and say, look, if you need me after a five, I'm not going to be there. Right. But I, I feel like I can't say, look, if you need me after three, I'm not going to be there. Even though I might have gotten right. everything and done, I needed to get done that day by three. No, you're 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 right. That you you make a good point, but it's, I mean, here's another one. I'm just going to toss out. Um, is that, I I mean I I just feel like I haven't been in the the racket of like having a real job in quite a while. I haven't had. If you look at the pie graph of my life, much most of that life, I didn't actually have like a real jobby job. But but with that said, I've been adjacent to that, and I've worked for clients and. I've been a fly on on the wall of a lot of really dark, hypocritical, ugly stuff inside of teams that I'm apparently the only one who notices. Maybe because I'm weird and I'm a I'm a real free spirit with an authority problem. Like fair enough, guilty as charged. But 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 like another perhaps another consequence of this is alongside the like yeah I want to take lunch when I take lunch I want to do my workout when I do my workout like let me manage my job I am a knowledge worker. I do the thing, but I also figure out what the thing is and when it needs to be done. And within certain constraints as a practitioner, maybe not as a manager, but as a practitioner, you know, I, I, I can, I can, I, well, let's make that work. Now, as for the management stuff and the boundaries, which a word that I love, the boundaries and expectation management, I do wonder if there's going to be some plurality of people who come out of this with a really different idea about, about what is, what is okay. You know, like for, for, for the longest time, we tend to think of having a career, a job that's part of a career. I mean, what proportion of that, especially early in your career, comes down to what time your ass is in the seat and what time your ass is allowed to leave the seat and for how long? I would argue that, that even at fairly medium, middle-level jobs and middle-level careers, that's arguably step zero. There's no job without you being in your chair by this time, just be, for reasons, right? And maybe one of those reasons is John needs to be available at 3.15 p.m., but I feel like there are ways, if we're being honest with amongst ourselves on the team, there's ways to say, like, look, if it's this kind of thing, geez, I hope you'll call me in the middle of the night if that happens, right? And th- maybe at the far other end of the spectrum is like, you know, um, if no matter how big this is, like, don't, don't text me when I'm going to be on a plane going to vacation or whatever. I, I don't, I don't, it differs for everybody. And I think that's the problem. That's the pity is that we will tend to recalibrate our expectations to the most broken people on the team. 
and then act like that's normal and we're bad because we expect to have some quality of life alongside doing good work. And I really earnestly hope that there will be a time on the other side of this, if we ever have another side, where you get to say like, you know, hey, look, I don't smoke and I don't eat much, but I'm going to leave the office. I'm just going to bounce for 45. Like, don't, don't call me unless it's a big deal. Like, you, if you knew I wasn't taking a dump, you wouldn't come in and bang on the door unless it was really important, I hope. <laughs> Act like I'm taking a dump. Is, is, that, is that how much plainer could I make this? Let's respect each other to be able to make decisions and create boundaries, but then also to be communic communicative enough to say, hey, if it's, if it's this kind of big deal, you should always contact me immediately, regardless of the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people want to have those conversations. I think they want the, the, the busted-ass mores of a team run by broken people where then you, you get to like, you get to gloat or just be sad. And then like, you know, is it okay if I leave? My kids having their graduation day. It's like, ooh, it's really not a good time. It's like, well, I've been working real hard and stuff and I'm really willing to sacrifice my basic humanity to make you think that I care about this job more than I do, please. Yeah. Sorry, I'm carrying on, but that stuff makes me so angry. I hate to see people treated worse than feed animals by people who then get to like, try to like manipulate them emotionally about like what they owe them. And I do feel, I just feel like that's so widespread. And it's so gross. I've been lucky enough being a fancy computer programmer for my whole career to mostly not ever be in a workplace that was like that. And I, I like to think that I've ever found myself in that situation. I would bail really quickly, but in general, fancy computer programmers who were born when I was born are treated gently and allowed most of the flexibility you described um, there's two insidious countervailing factors. One of them I just talked about, which is like, yeah, but what if you're doing it to yourself? What if like, what if no one is actually making you stay, but you feel yeah. like you should and you want to work hard and whatever, doing it to yourself, like that's not the organization. Especially being... if it's your own thing or your side hustle. But here's like, if you're, if you're getting ready to chide me about this beloved listener, I do love you so much. Um, you check yourself before you wreck yourself because a lot of times, and I'm going to do that, you know, your destiny buddy, I'm going to do that kind of annoying phrasing that your destiny buddy does sometimes. Hey, you know, um, when you say, but I have to put up with this, what I hear is I don't have any self-esteem or desire for my life to improve. Cause here's the thing. You could always come back at somebody and say, but my mortgage or, but my this or, but my sick family or, but yeah, that's fine. I get that. But you go make your own decisions in the context of what you need to do. What is not a fair bar for people you nominally like, respect, or even, God forbid, love is to say you always have to be as sad and hopeless as I am because I have my reasons and now you need to have your reasons. And I'm sorry to be melodramatic about this, but there are a few things that make me angrier than that kind of like, nobody here is ever allowed to be happy again. Nobody here is ever allowed to have any agency because the person who come up with, can come up with the most outrageous, the person who hates their family the most, doesn't like being at home, doesn't enjoy free time, doesn't enjoy any endeavor outside of that office with the chair their ass goes in. Boy, can we please not let those people run the railroad? Yeah, that, sorry. That, that's definitely- <sighs> You should eat. You know, an extremely unhealthy situation where someone does it to themselves and then, like you said, says, okay, well, I'm doing it to myself and I'm also in charge. Maybe you shouldn't have bought a house. Have you right. thought of that? <laughs> and now I'm going to impose all that on you, on you right? But yeah. the, second, the second thing that can happen, the second factor that can lead even an organization where people are trying to be, you know, healthy and good for each other and, like, being flexible about all the stuff, like, 
because I've worked in many places where it's it was inconceivable that someone would ever be denied from going to their kid's graduation. Like, because again, we were treated specially. We're super fancy computer programmers. It's the you know the age of the internet. Yeah, I mean, you guys are like cats. You need to be handled differently than other even other domestic animals. Or just in general, like most of the places I work, all the employees have been treated fairly well. As I'm working at technology companies in you know the '90s and 2000s. Like, big surprise, right? So it's mm-hmm. you know it's not the same for everybody. I've been lucky to be in that profession, right? But the 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 other factor that's in the mix in my specific profession is I was trying to think of the best analogy. This is all I can come up with. A lot of the businesses that I have worked for, probably all of them, when I think about it, some aspect of it is essentially like babysitting a dragon. How do you mean? Right, there's a dragon, a, a gigantic multi-story creature that breathes fire that's super dangerous and not really under your control but it's really important that you have that dragon that the dragon be kept from destroying everything but also kept alive and happy right is that the team is the team the dragon no hopefully hopefully you'll see what the dragon is in a second right and so when you go to take a dump or you go on your honeymoon or whatever and the dragon gets loose (laughs) and it's really important to it's not like the business needs to look if this dragon just if we don't get this dragon back under control soon it's going to burn the place down and guess what when you come back from your honeymoon you won't have a job Hmm. so that's the type of thing that you were talking about it's like look if this happens the dragon gets out call me beat me or whatever is the dragon like your server going down or getting hacked or something the dragon is in most of my professions has been the product that yes there is something running somewhere connected to the internet that people are using 24 hours a day seven days a week thousands of requests per second every waking moment and there Mm -hmm. is no moment when that thing can't be working like you know every job i've worked has had some stat where it's like every second the dragon is not under control, we lose X amount of dollars. Like like, like this this very afternoon, I saw this via um, uh, Dave, David Roth, who I, I guess something went went bad with AWS at some or some something happened regarding AWS, and like a bunch of sub stacks went down. Mm-hmm. Right, that it, that kind of thing. Right, where like it doesn't take that much for the dragon to get its nose under the tent <laughs> mixed to analogies, right? But yeah. like it, it, when that, when something like an AWS type thing happens, that is very much a like wake every, break up all the dragon babysitters. Right. Or, or maybe you don't need all of them or maybe you just need one. And that's the whole like, oh, no one should be indispensable. Everybody should be able to solve the problem. You should be able to go on vacation and you should have to worry about it. And in fact, the dragon should be relatively tame and shouldn't be constantly gnashing its teeth and trying to smash the bars. And like, there's many things you could say, well, it shouldn't be like that. Like you should have the whole point of your company is get the dragon under control so it's not a dragon and then it's a kitten and then right, you can go on vacation right. everyone can sleep but reality is sometimes you're babysitting the dragon and so, and that means that like like you said you do want it like please like if i can solve this in three seconds and it's mm-hmm. going to take you 15 minutes and when i come back from my honeymoon the company's going to be gone and i'm going to be at a job please call me even if i'm on my honeymoon yes. come find me in the bathroom stall to deal with this especially if you're the only person who knows if you if you are basically the um say black widow to that incredible hulk like there's something where you have a unique ability maybe because of your expertise and background you know something that may not be obvious to other people or like you know what part of the jukebox to hit to have you know blue moon play whatever that is but like even firefighters cops soldiers even they like get to sleep you know, it's, it's, it, the thing is, it's very, I think sometimes people don't 
want to do the planning and resource leveling. Maybe I'm, now, now I'm just being a dick, but I do think sometimes people will just write that kind of thing off because they are addicted to feeling useful and being terrified of ever being alone, like a lot of men. Um, but like I say, fire, firefighters get to sleep sometimes, even when there's a lot going on. Like you believe me, you do not want a firefighter that hasn't slept. And why are we still doing the thing where resident MDs, they still do that hazing mm. for like two years where you never sleep. Is that a best practice, guys? Really? It's just that I think sometimes they don't, people want to run you into the ground because it's more costly to be decent to the babysitter, except in your case, because you guys, wait a minute, now I'm really getting confused. So the the the, the, cam, the camel's nose gets under the dragon, and then you, you got to pet the cat, even if you're on vacation with, with your baby. Is that I right? Mean, the, the good thing about this dynamic in the tech world is that like the, the overseers, the executives or whatever, they don't want mm -hmm. anyone to have the special knowledge of how to tame the dragon. Because that makes you mm -hmm. a liability to them. Because if you get hit by a bus or quit for another job, more likely, now yeah. all of a sudden the knowledge walked out the door with you. So upper, upper management is always very gung-ho on. Nobody should be indispensable. Everyone should be more like firefighters and that any well-rested yeah. firefighter is replaceable for any other ones. And less I should, like, I should be able to buy any battery that meets this spec and put it into that car without meeting it. They want people to be interchangeable cogs, which is also not true. And that's the other pathology, <laughs> like going the other direction. I'm saying, well, oh, God. everyone is exactly the same. And a programmer is a programmer is a programmer, right? And so these so, like, this is just like straight up mythical man month stuff. Like, yeah, it's not, I'm not even talking about like the 10X programmer, blah, blah, whatever. But in the sense that like, boy, not only is this person really good at their job, they're also a really good teacher. They're also a really patient and decent people person. And just because I don't know how many K-locks they can put out, but like this person is oddly well-disposed to doing what they do inside of our company. And shame on you if you don't tell them how to tame the dragon. Yeah. So, so we're, there's always, we're always trying to strike that balance of like, people shouldn't be indispensable, but people also aren't identical cogs. So let's get let's get a healthy <laughs> situation where people can go on vacation and feel comfortable. In general, most of my jobs have been pretty good in that regard. The, it, it gets really bad if you're in a startup because when you have five people, guess what? Yeah. There's no one to replace you. If you're five people and you are the only web programmer and you if go you've on vacation- you an ad for a full stack developer, well- <laughs> Wow, that's a lot of stack. I, I, well, not last time I was in like a startup where there was five people, there was, the phrase full stack developer didn't exist. But yes, that's what people were by necessity. Because I mean, like I said, my first job out of school, I was literally the only programmer. So when I went on vacation, the company <laughs> had zero I told programs. you I was editing my SQL tables <laughs> in PHP, my admin, like I'd gone in and I was, I, I just got the feeling from you. I don't even know what I was doing that was so bad, except that it was strictly verboten going into what I was doing. You don't want me to be the person who tries to fix yeah. your Postgres. Then, then the person comes back from vacation and says, why don't we have a company? I said, Merlin tried to fix the database. He tried to fix the database. He thought all he had to do was do, I think I did a find and replace. And I, I, I think I heard you actually soil yourself when I said that. Um, and it was not regex. No, it was just straight up PHP, my admin. Um, but John, uh, we should bounce soon. Um, I need to eat. But my question to you is, what can we do? I know you didn't. I'm, I'm being a man here. I'm being a, a dude, even more uh, saliently. Um, what can we do to get you where you'd like to be with your food plan? Have you have you considered intermittent fasting? Because that could just be a cool name for the thing you're already doing. And part of the reason I brought this up is because I had this realization and I looked back at how long it's going on and I've been like, I <gasps> think I might be... The call's coming from inside the fast. I think I might kind of be okay with two meals a day. I'm not okay with the laptop okay. at the table, and I'm trying to work on that. But if I don't feel hungry, here's what, here's what I've been trying to figure out without not, not trying. But if I was actually trying, I would just do it and get the answer. I'm wondering if I'm eating fewer calories or more calories than I was before. 
because just because I'm eating two meals do, doesn't mean I'm eating, you know, like if I was eating three meals, right, would right, I be right. eating more calories? No, no, I, I feel you. Yeah. And are they good calories? I'm, I'm pretty, I'm doing pretty good on the healthy eating. I'm not eating junk for the most part. I mean, I'm still, I, I'm a big ice cream fiend, so I have ice cream every day, but not mm. a lot of ice cream. And I'm, 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 I'm eating <laughs> real you, food. That's how you get John Roderick to do stuff. You give him ice cream. Yeah, and it works on me too. I'm, I'm eating real food, and I'm not feeling hungry during the day, and I don't feel sick or bloated or like you know woozy or anything like that. Uh, so I think, I think I'm okay, okay on two meals a day so far. I would prefer. I, I can <clears> tell you right now that if I didn't have work, I would eat three meals because that's that's more oh, relaxing sleep for more. me to have three meals. Yeah, but right now I think I'm doing okay. Um, this is, um, this is a classic example of, uh, the sort of advice that I, I c- consider or talk about because it's advice that I need, but like, I, my problem is that I forget that as much as I do enjoy eating some foods more than others, certain times more than others, certain groups more than others, but like what I need to remember is that food is fuel, duh, right? Like the, these, you need these cacals to get in your body so that like you can, you're alive. But the, the one angle of this that does feel like a very John Syracuse point is like my father, probably like a lot of parents, never let the gas tank get below half a tank. I, I think I know why. I don't know to a certainty why, but I think it's a very parenty dad thing of like, well, what if we have to go somewhere? It's not a contest to see how close we can get to empty. Like, don't do that. Because, you know, it, it, the gas is going to cost the same mostly. I mean, allowing for like vacations and stuff. You know what I mean? Like this is a resource that we're always going to need in the car. There's never a day, there's nothing I can think of as a non-engineering person. There's nothing I can think of where you benefit a lot from keeping your gas tank almost empty. And I feel like that's, if we abstract that just a little bit, boy, there's a, we have a lot of shared DNA with that in our obsessions about how things run, especially at home, right? It's like, don't wait until you're on your last roll of toilet paper. Like if it's something important, you know, three is two, two is one, one is none. And like, don't, don't try to win the contest of how close I can get to an empty tank. You're not Kramer. Like you need to keep gas in the tank. And if I can force myself or encourage myself to remember that food is fuel, then guess what? It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. It doesn't matter if I'm almost, have an almost empty tank. If I accept, and at least intellectually, that food is fuel, I need to just put some food fuel in the tank and ideally, it would be like, I'm going to abandon the analogy at this point. Ideally, it would be good food that won't harm me, that won't make me logy, that won't make me sad, won't make me cranky, and I won't be eating my feelings or eating my frustration or eating my hungriness. Like, if you have little bits of food, like, I eventually learned, I hate to say this, John, because I did once have a, a long-term relationship with somebody who was late for everything, I eventually learned that I should eat before I eat. This was on my this is on my page of wisdom that I will share with our listeners. But if you're somebody who like when you get to the party and then you find out, oh no, it's going to be like the dinner party episode of The Office. We don't know when the salt uh, salt is going to be done because we haven't started it yet. You're kidding me! I'm starving. You know what I started doing? Eating before I go to the dinner party. So it's more party and less dinner. Food is fuel. You need to put that in your body. Does any of that resonate with you? For sure. That also eating before you go to the party is also a hedge against them having food that you don't like. Like, what if they only have like diet drinks? Can you imagine right, then that? You, then you can eat a polite portion and uh, still not be hungry. Oh, I totally agree. What if it has nuts and raisins in it? Yeah. I, going going back to your gas tank thing, not, the, not that I needed any more motivation to always make sure my gas tank is full. And by the way, corn has thrown a ra- monkey wrench in that too because hmm. I was driving so little that I, that I had to switch and say, Oh, 
I have so many people. things like that where like if it, this was my normal thing, I, this would not be a problem at all. But corn screwed me up. And now right. I, I like a tank of gas was lasting me like three months. I'm like, this isn't good. You shouldn't have gas in your car for three months. Like I haven't this is at a certain point. I realized I haven't you know, I haven't filled up my gas tank since March and it's months later. And so I had yeah. to switch to the half tank. Now I keep my tank half full at all times. Hmm. Um, but anyway, if I, if I needed anything else to keep me doing that, which I really don't. Uh, I also have some probably folklore in my mind that may be based on nothing, but this folklore that exists in my mind, which is that in very cold climates, it's a bad idea to let your tank be almost empty because then it makes it harder to start the car on, the, on a very cold morning. If you're going to keep the Rainman Buick in the garage, there are preparations that you would take for long-term storage, especially in Cincinnati. Yeah, or, or, or even just like, even if you're using the car every single day, my practice mm-hmm. living up here in New England has been, if you're driving to work every single day, whatever, do not pull into your driveway at the end of the day at winter with it, with the tiny bit of gas in your tank because then when you go in the next morning to try to, try to start, uh-huh. it will be harder to start your car. That could be entirely false. I have never if actually it's seen it that be helps, true. I say I say go but, with it. But I have it in my head, and so mm-hmm. not that I've ever let my tank get below a quarter tank in my entire life. Really? But if I did, like, oh my no, god, just, that's so impressive. <laughs> I mean, even when I you have, were poor like, and in college I, and sleeping on a mat next to your future wife, I am, I am an obsessive gas tank filler. You're, you're my wife a gas is the man. opposite. I think I've told you the story about yeah. the light, right? The the one the the, the Mises ate. No, no, different one. She, oh. she, it was this many years into our marriage, and I, she she was driving the car, and I looked at the thing. I'm like, you you need to get some gas. That thing is past E, and she's like, the light isn't even on. I'm like, what light? Oh my god! Thank God what you weren't a Chernobyl. And oh she my said, God. oh, well, when the tank gets really low, a light comes on. I'm like, I oh. had no idea that light even existed. She's familiar with that you light because that's what she bags, uses. Tuck terrible. your bags and leave town. That is terrible. <laughs> it is. In fact, today, tonight, she she went to go get gas at like 7.30 p.m., probably because the light came on. And she realized she's not going to make it to work tomorrow morning. <laughs> Suddenly she's Ultraman. <laughs> right. She's not going to make it to work tomorrow morning. Oh, she doesn't God. fill up now. And she doesn't want to have to wake oh, up 15 minutes Tina. early to make it to the gas station. So I don't know if the light came on, but she is the opposite. But yeah. So with the two of us combined, one of our cars always has gas in it. And the other one is on empty. Your buddy, um, I don't know why this reminds me of this, but your buddy, uh, John Chigi, where you encouraged me to be on his other podcast. His main podcast is called Causality. So check it out. So basically, John, who's a really smart guy, this is such a, like, in the best, I mean this, as you know, John, I mean this in the best sense of the word. This is a very geeky, nerdy show because he's an engineer and like a Dr. Drang, he, I mean, I, I, I think he might, is he a structural engineer? But he knows stuff. He understands why the plane door sheared off. This latest episode is so good. They're all so good. It's called uh, Causality 38 called uh, Thunder River Rapids. And it's about... Um, an amusement park in Australia that, as it turns out, he's been to a bunch of times, and something goes really wrong with one of their rides. Go listen to yourself for yourself. It's really good. Um, a bunch of stuff goes wrong from a sort of like, yeah, like engineering standpoint, like, or sorry, from like a technical gear standpoint. But the way that we got to where that stuff could fail from a gear standpoint was like poor planning and poor like human, poor accounting for like how human beings work. And like, it was, it's a really, it's a really good episode. It's sad, but it's really good. Um, but the reason I mentioned it here is like, so it involves like a, like a, not a, I guess kind of like a log flume, like a water ride for the whole family. And one of the ways they determine whether the pump is working properly or whether some part of this apparatus is working properly is you have to check the scum line. And so it like, I don't think it was technically formally this, but like the idea was you will know if this thing isn't working 
if you look at the side of the craft and, and the scum line is not where you expect it, which is a pretty crazy ad hoc way to do this, but it worked until it didn't. And the way that it didn't work, I mean, I'm spoiling it a little bit. The way it didn't work is that every little system went wrong. It was like, it was a little bit Chernobyl where like there was not an audible alarm for when this pump wasn't working. There was not a, like a, there was no, at the time when somebody, they cheaped out and had the employees at this park be able to like, like load people into the thing, run the ride, you know, all the different parts. But like that really stuck with me for some reason. It reminds me of your car where like that is a, an effective heuristic, in retrospect, an effective heuristic 90, definitely over 99% of the time, right? Like the scum line. But like when something changes, how will you know whether something is significant? So like every day, if you're going to work every day, you know to keep your, you know, your John Sarkisi, you want quarter or half uh, tank of gas at the least. But it is funny, it takes something like corn for me to realize how many things come up because they come up. They didn't have to be a scheduled task. And once, once again, I bet we're going to keep discovering those for months. We're going to keep finding the scum line. Now, the scum line thing reminds me of a bit of programmer wisdom. You've got your wisdom sheet. It's just find one of those big programmer wisdom things. There's a lot of overlap because programming is like a fake version of real life in a, in a confined <laughs> context. But uh, the scum line falls under the category of a thing. So you just describe what you're doing. They're using the scum line as a way to tell whether something was working or whatever. The way to tell whether that's good or bad uh, to get yourself out of the mindset of like, oh, it's just what we do is if you would be embarrassed to explain it to someone else or if you would be embarrassed to write it down to describe, here's how we do our job. And when you got to the part where you have to write the paragraph about the scum line, <laughs> you would stop writing halfway through and go, you start, wait a second. You start mumbling. <laughs> you would say, wait a second. Like, oh, we have a, you, we have a visual you're, method. You're embarrassed, you're embarrassed oh, to write it. We have a visual method by which we apply the heuristic for, for knowing that. Yes, yeah, so you should <laughs> observe the line of scum. And as you're writing it, like especially when you write it, whether you explain it to someone or when you write it, you hear in your head, or at least I do, the obvious objections that any person who's outside this would have to your explanation of the scum yeah, line. Like that, seems, that seems a little bit informal and right. ad hoc. <laughs> and so, and, and that's where like, that forces you, that's like writing documentation for your code. Like when you, when you write documentation for some code that you wrote and you have to describe uh, an API and you write the documentation for it and you're embarrassed to write the documentation because yeah. you're like, oh my God, no, I can't, I can't. Like, I can't say, okay, well, look, when the moon is full, and if you're a left-handed yes. person, then you have to make sure to bring a carrot for lunch. But if you don't, and you're like, no, I can't, I cannot explain this to another person because it's so ridiculous. For, for me, that I've was having to write made. blah, blah text. When, when you have to have a long paragraph of blah, blah text to get around a deficit in what we ended up having to ship, mm -hmm. like that's not good document. It's not documentation. It's more like. You know, I, I I have to imagine you're sympathetic to this, where you're like, hey, look, I, I read all the instructions, and there's not this thing. I'm like, oh yeah, did you read the blah blah text under that or whatever? And I'm not saying I'm great about that, but I do know that if like there's if this does not work in a conventional way, this was a much more radical idea 20 years ago before UX became a thing. And but like there was a time when it was like, oh yeah, well, just we'll put that in the blah blah text, and if they don't read it, that's their fault. No wonder they can't find a a zero bedroom five bath house. What well, says very yeah. clearly there that, that you know, <laughs> there's all these things where like, well, you're right that when you have to document that or when you have to account for why a normal person can't use it, my God, there was a, I pulled a, a good quote out of, you might've heard this on Do By Friday, but I pulled a good quote out of that book of quotations um, I've been reading. And one of them was something like, let's say it was Wordsworth, but saying something like, you know, 
may may I may I never something like may I never be a person who d- thinks who detects criticism as like a personal attack or something like that. He put it better. But it's that kind of thing where you're like, no, no, I, I like you. I'm glad you're a good developer, and I know you have constraints and things are hard. But like, don't count on my, as you like to say, wordsmithing to make this thing behave in a way that's intuitive when it's absolutely not intuitive. Yeah, and trying to describe it makes you realize that real fast. When you're on paragraph seven of what you call the blah blah text, you're like, okay, this is a function that's supposed to add two numbers together. <laughs> well, there's a reason we called it that. I mean, that was a deliberately disparaging name. It's one thing to say, like, enter the number of bedrooms and baths you want and hit enter. Like, that that's a kind of, like, like you'd see in gray text underneath a, a box on iOS. This is more like, whoa, what is that wall of text? I mean, what surprising result would happen if I don't read and obey this? Mm-hmm, like, that's mm-hmm. not a good experience. So you think you got the right calories. That's good. You could photograph. Your, you know what you could do, John? You could draw your food. But yeah, no, I can. I, I could know who really cares. This is also part of my corn has been to not uh, not pay, not pay too much, not pay too much attention, not to not, uh, not stand on the scale, let's say. Oh, dude. I mean, I, I got so tired of the stand warnings and the, like the things I brought upon myself over a year ago of like, yeah, I want to get this many steps. I want to do this. I want to do that. And like, every time I get like another report that I scream a well-known obscenity at my watch, every time it tries to make my life healthier. I'm like, really? Are you, read the room, watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like during the quarantine stuff, I'm like, look, some stuff has got to go overboard. I'm willing to resume that when I have the bandwidth for that. And that went overboard. And I think I've been doing okay. Like I said, I think, I don't think I'm, you know. I bet you are. I bet you're doing putting, fine. Putting on 50 pounds or anything like that. But I've also decided to, that I'm not going to obsess about that part of my life right now. Exactly. <sighs> To paraphrase Robert Duvall, you know, in Apocalypse Now, this uh, corn's not going to last forever, John. Like, if you want, if you want to slip in some improvements, you need to get going now. Yeah, is there gas well, in the car? Yes, there's gas in the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll all have vaccines by the end of summer, and everything will be fine. Sure. Right? Yeah, love the smell of regex in the morning. Mm-hmm. 